new series, and just so you know, right off the bat, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long series, um, but it, it's going to be a series that will transform your life, because as, as we just prayed, um, Jesus has set us free. You are free. Whether you're experiencing that freedom or not is a different story. But the truth of the matter is, is that you have been translated from the kingdom of darkness, which we were born into through Adam, into the kingdom of God's dear Son, Jesus Christ. You, you, you live in a completely different kingdom in Christ Jesus. Um, and when, like I said, when we were born, we were born into a world system. We were born into a world system, which is a counterfeit kingdom, which is at war with the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit writes this to us in John. In John's first epistle, his first letter to, to the church, he says, we know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is after the cross. John's writing to the church. And he says that when you become born of God, you are from God. But the world lies under the power of the evil one. It's interesting. It's something that we as believers need to be awakened to. We have to be aware of. When you were born of the Holy Spirit, your citizenship was transferred from the this, from this world to the kingdom of God. And although your residence may be in this world, your citizenship is in heaven. Right? We are, of, we are in this world, but we are not of this world, the Scripture says. Furthermore, you can, we can trust that King Jesus will protect you while you live in enemy territory. You're not left defenseless. You're not left by yourself. You haven't been abandoned. Jesus actually promises that I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right? You can't get rid of, you can't get rid of Jesus no matter how hard you try. Right? In 1 John chapter 5.18 it says, We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. That's good news right there, isn't it? For Christians, this life is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. You as a believer, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. But for the non-believer, unfortunately, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get. This is as good as it is going to get. So living in this tension of this truth, how are we now to live? You're in enemy territory. You've been delivered, set free. You're a citizen of heaven, but living in, in, in an enemy territory that's under the power of the evil one. Right? How are we to live? Are we to continue in the ways of the fallen world system? Or are we to live victoriously in the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Will you choose to pull heaven up into your life? Or I said that wrong. Will you choose to pull heaven down, right? Heaven's up. Heaven down into your life, or are you going to allow, allow hell to come up into your life? For Jesus did not save us 
just to go to heaven one day, but to escape the hell that we're in right now. Very familiar scripture in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. It says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life does not begin when you go to heaven. Eternal life does not begin when you go to heaven. Eternal life begins when you meet Jesus. When you meet Jesus. You can be a Christian going to heaven and still be reaping the wages of hell here on earth. This, is, this isn't just a, a go-to-heaven scripture. This is a life choice scripture. Will you choose to reap eternal life in Christ Jesus, or will you continue to reap the wage of sin, which is death? And yes, sin can lead to physical death, but it can lead to death of your marriage. It can lead to death of your, of your family and relationship with your children. It can be death in the workplace and your finances. It can, it can be death of a society or a culture or a nation. The wages of sin always lead to death. And only Jesus Christ leads to death to life. If we truly want to make our schools better, our communities better, we'd give everybody a Bible. Because that's the only thing that leads people to life. We must learn to live an eternal life of the eternal kingdom of our eternal King Jesus. You, this is something we now have to learn to live in. You've been translated, that's something you did not do, into the kingdom of God. But now you have to learn how, how now do we live in that kingdom. What does it look like? Should we look like those that are still living under the power of the evil one? Or should we look different? Should our lives be different? In a nutshell, this is what this series is about. So with that said, let's jump into it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, it says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. What do you think about that? I mean, when you hear the word idolatry, you think in Old Testament, right? Golden calves and um, pagan worship practices and all, all of these things. But notice that this was written in the New Testament. In the New Testament. And it says, flee from idolatry. It does not say resist idolatry. We resist the devil. It says that we are to flee. And you resist the devil and he will flee from you. But it says that we are to flee from idolatry. We are to flee from idolatry. And I want you to think about something. If the Apostle Paul had to write this to born again Christians in the church in Corinth to flee from idolatry, do you think that it might be affecting Christians today? Is it possible that it could be affecting you? Idolatry. Is it possible that a counterfeit worship is affecting your life, your marriage, your children? Most definitely. And Jesus came to deliver us from idolatry to worship Him as the one true God in spirit and in truth. Let's look at this encounter in the Scriptures that Jesus had. In, in John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, 
Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he, set, and, he, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now I want to just point out something real quick out of, the, out of this scripture. Is that he had to pass. He had to pass. Which is very, there's a reason why that was written in there. Because during this time that, G, that Jesus lived, the Jews would make great effort to walk around the Samaria region of Samaria. They, they would actually go great lengths to avoid Samaria and it would cause them extra miles and time to their journey. But it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. It was, a, it was something that God had put in the heart of Jesus that He had to go. Holy Spirit was leading Jesus because Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was fully God, right? But he, the Scripture says in Philippians that He laid everything down that, that made Him God and became a servant, right? And, and, it, and this, it shows this in the Scripture. It says that, that Jesus wearied as He was from His journey. Think about that. God Almighty became a human being, became a man, and He was tired. A lot of people don't think that's about Jesus. They don't think Jesus ever got tired. They don't think He ever got hungry. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, and this might offend some people, but you need to be woken up, is that Jesus had bowel movements. God had bowel movements. He had B.O. He sweated. He understands your affliction. We have a God that understands our affliction. And He journeyed, and He was tired. Right? Don't you love this God? The God that we serve, He understands what it means to be human. The Old Testament tells us that the Samaritans were sexually confused, that they started a cult, and even sacrificed their children to demons who masqueraded as gods. Not much different than our culture in our world today. But while, Jesus, while the Jews deliberately tried to walk around Samaria, when God showed up on the earth, He walked to that very place. He, he, he walked to that place. So in the heart of the noonday sun, an, an exhausted Jesus sat down and had a conversation with a Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman was an outcast, she was married five times and was living with a guy who had taken advantage of her abuse and confused state. So she was married five times. As you can imagine, there's a lot of baggage and, and abuse and, and vulnerability in, in that state. And now she's living with a guy that won't even marry her. Jesus was a Jew. The woman was a Samaritan. 
And these two groups warred over worship. In the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, the Jews, the, the Jewish exiles had to re return to Jerusalem and they began repairing and rebuilding the temple so that they could worship God there. The Samaritans offered to help, but were told that as godless idolaters who did not possess salvation, their assistance was unwelcome. You can read that in Ezra chapter 1. Today, many churches are welcoming idolaters, not as sinners that need a Savior and to worship Jesus, but actually embracing their false worship. We can see these flags that they proudly and arrogantly display on their buildings. In response, a rebellious Jew named Manasseh married a Samaritan woman and constructed another temple on Mount Gerizim. G-E-R-I-Z-I-M. Gerizim. Gerizim? Yeah. You've been there. Which, which was... <laughs> in the heart of Samaria, and it, and it was a competing site of worship and priesthood. And you can read about that in Nehemiah chapter 13. So God created a temple in Jerusalem, and Satan counterfeited it in Samaria. Today we call that a cult. This counterfeit Samaritan temple remained for almost 300 years until the Jews burned it to the ground. But when Jesus shows up, there's still this war, this conflict on what is, what and where do we worship. So this this brings us to the this gives us the backdrop as Jesus sits with the Samaritan woman, and she asks a theological question of how and where we are to worship. Where should I go to worship? So let's pick back up in verse twenty. In John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus' answer to this woman changed the world. It changed the world. In John in verse 21, it says, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Will you worship the Father? You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is the Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Jesus declared to the, to the Samaritan woman that both Samaritan and Jewish worship was coming to an end. And as he says, is at an end. And instead, that God favored worshipers that worshipped in spirit and truth. That's the worship, and that's the worshipers that God desires. One of spirit. People who understand that they no longer have to go to a place or temple. They can worship God at any place, at any time, 
Because God would make their very bodies their temple. His temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Scriptures say that God dwells in you. Amen? And what happens to this woman? She, she hears this from Jesus. And Jesus is speaking this awesome truth to a soul Sinful Samaritan woman. He reveals this truth to, to this woman. One that he knows. Because he had to pass through Samaria. He knew her and now she knew him. And this eternal relationship between Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the Samaritan woman had begun. And what happens to this woman? She becomes the greatest evangelist in the New Testament, sparking revival in, throughout all Samaria. This story is, and what we have to understand is this story is everyone's story. This is your story. Look, look at what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Again, we see that when you come to meet Jesus, there is a turning, even in the church of Thessalonica, there's a turning from worshiping idols to worshiping the true and living God. True worship is turning from idols and worshiping the living God. Just like the Samaritan woman, she turned from worshiping idols and to living to, to to worshiping Jesus Christ. And we as a church, we as individuals, we have to learn to flee from idolatry if we are ever going to enjoy the eternal life, the life, the abundant life that Jesus Christ has given us. See, the Samaritan woman's story is what it means to be turned from God from idols. She had many problems. Think about this. This woman had many problems. She had relational problems. She had marital problems. She had spiritual problems. She had sexual problems. She had social problems. Yet under all these problems, the root of all of it was idolatry. Was idolatry. Sure, she was passionate. And she kept on worshiping even what she was worshiping was the wrong thing and wasn't producing life in her, in her life. It wasn't producing her desire. But she still kept on worshiping. Anyone that marries five times and has taken another swing at it really ha, ha, has passion and, and desires relation, relationships, don't you think? She, like so many, is, is, de is a desperate worshiper, but, de but devoting all of their passions to the wrong thing. All of life's troubles comes from worshiping counterfeits. It sounds so simple, and you're thinking, well, I don't worship any counterfeits. Well, stick with me. God created us to worship Him. But idolatry is counterfeit worship. Just as our troubles 
come from idolatry, right? So we know where our troubles come from. We can also worship our way out of trouble by worshiping our Creator and our God and Father. Worship versus idolatry um, is one of the main things of Scripture. If if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you know that this is something that the Jews and and, um, the Gentiles, everyone, is, is constantly struggling with what to worship. What to worship. In the Old Testament, God gave the Ten Commandments to the Jews as a blueprint for correct worship. The first two commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make yourself a a carven image or likeness or anything that is heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow to them nor serve them. Those, Those first two commandments that he gave the Jews taught them who to worship and who or what not to worship. Right? The remaining commandments taught the Jews how to worship. How do you worship and how not to worship? It is impossible to worship the one true God while disobeying the remaining commandments. Think about this for a second. Dishonor, murder, Adultery, greed, lying, envy happen when people choose to commit idolatry. Worshipping someone or something counterfeit in the place of God. Our worship of false gods leads us into slavery to sin, rather freedom, in the sun. The concept of worship began with God. God is a worshiper. Do you know that? God Himself is a worshiper. For all eternity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are pouring themselves out to one another in love and service in perfect relationship. God made us in His image and in His likeness as worshipers. Listen to this. Understand, worship is not something we do. Worship is not something we do. But who, what, well, excuse me. Worship is not something we do. You are a worshiper. Worship is what everyone does all the time. Your entire life is an act of of worship. Because you are a worshiper. You were, you were created a worshiper. For some, they pay big bucks for tickets to show up early to tailgate, wear their gear, paint their faces, and stand in a, <laughs> and scream for a while in their church that's shaped like a stadium. Now, now understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that... I'm not saying that... Uh, going to sporting events is an act of idolatry. But it can become an an idol. You can allow it to become an idol. or Or when a fan shows up for a concert of of their favorite band at great expense, with great expectation, as they sweat and sing along to every word, it's like their own little revival meeting. 
And we, we see this more and more in our culture, especially with social media and, and our young people and how, how they, they get life from those that we prop up as idols. We even have a show called America's Next, or The Next American Idol. Choose your idol. When, you, when someone spends all their time and money on golf, boating, fishing, ouch, sex, shopping, social media, hunting, gambling, watching TV, surfing the internet, pornography, ranting about politics, they are making a sacrifice, which is an act of worship. The alcoholic worships the bottle. The drug addict worships the high. The workaholic gives his life away to their vocation. The codependent person worships the relationship. The intellect worships knowledge. The greedy person, person worships, worships the demon god mammon as a lover of money. The control freak worships being in charge. The glutton worships food. The gem jock worships their body. The religious person worships their self-righteousness and their good deeds. True worship is what happens when we worship Jesus in spirit and truth. Idolatry is what happens when we worship a counterfeit God or worship God in a counterfeit way. Martin Luther, this was a quote on his commentary on the first commandment in the Ten Commandments. He said, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Trust and faith of the heart alone make both God and idol. As Christians, we receive Jesus into our hearts. The counterfeit is people who have received idols into their hearts. Understand what manifests externally, originally, originates internally. In Romans chapter 1, verse 25, it says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is to be blessed forever. Amen. See, idolatry is a lie that someone or something other than God will fill the place of worship in our lives. God made us to worship Him by enjoying everything and everyone that He has given us. That He graciously, graciously provides. See, that's the thing about it is, is God give, gave us the entire world to enjoy. Right? He created the world and He said it was good. It was good. It's very good. So He creates, created the world. He says it's good. And so if it's good, it's good for us as long as we keep it in its proper order. It says here they exchanged the truth of God who was supposed to be worshipped and worshipped the creation rather than the Creator. See, Satan wants us to love the gifts more than the giver. And I've seen this even with, with Christians. They're praying about a certain situation or they're, they're, they um, are looking to, for healing or whatever it might be. 
And when God doesn't answer the way that they feel that he should, he should answer, or they question God's love for them, and they actually walk away from God because they're actually worshiping the gift more than the giver. And it just reveals their heart. Idolatry is talking, or excuse me, idolatry is taking a good thing and putting it in God's place. If you allow someone or something to become more important to you, where it displaces God as the center of your life, and start sacrificing time, money, energy, health, or even your relationship with God, be sure it will become an idol. This can become a grade point average, a relationship, a job, a spouse, children. All these are good things, aren't they? Possessions, hobby, sports, or simply comfort, relaxation, and security. All great things, all good things. When they're put in correct order, but when they're out of order, they bring death. Demonic forces and systems make up worship of idols profitable, pleasurable, even preferable to worshiping the real God. This method has never needed to be tweaked or changed throughout human existence because it works so good. Because it's the best sellers in humanity throughout all ex existence. Sex, money, power, fame, beauty, comfort, never really go out of demand, does it? Check out what Paul tells the, tells the Romans in, in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to what? Death. Or obedience that leads to righteousness. Notice he's telling Christians, he's saying that you are the one that present yourself as slaves. And whoever you put yourself as a slave to, that, that is the one that you will serve. And it's either you're either going to serve sin that leads to death, or you're going to serve God that leads to righteousness. Peter echoes this same, this same truth in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. It says, They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For where, whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Understand, it's a short walk from sin, which is infrequent, to a habitual sin, which is more frequent cycle, to an addiction, which is very frequent. It, it, it just happens so quickly, so rapidly, almost without you even knowing. A compulsive sin behavior is reinforcing through our bodies 
through reward and, and, and pleasurable experience initially. You know, Moses even said, it, Paul talks about Moses that he, he um, that, and says that sin had pleasure for a season. When you initially start something, when you initially start worshiping something other than God, it actually brings pleasure for a little while, initially. But the problem is, is that it leads to dependency, which decreases the ability to produce pleasure. Such with a drug addiction, the ability of a drug to produce the associated pleasure is replaced by the need to fend off withdrawal. Do you see how that works? It produces pleasure in you, enslaves you, then it takes the pleasure away and demands that you continue to worship through withdrawal. Different people have different struggles and addictions. So feel free, God bless you, to insert your own vice in the place of drugs, be it sex, porn, food, alcohol, high-risk behavior, people-pleasing, anger and rage, gambling, shopping, or something else. If I didn't touch on yours, fill in the blank. See, these are things that have become so familiar. They're, they're familiar sense, too, that we don't even realize. If you want to know what, what, you, what your idol is in your life, just ask your spouse or ask one of your close friends. Right? That will tell you the truth. The word or the world or Bab, the Babylonian system is a counterfeit to the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, people worship God by practicing self control. In the world, people worship pleasure as God and lose all control. For a Christian struggling with addictions, it makes them miserable. It makes them miserable. Culture uses the word addiction. What Scripture uses is the word slavery. That is so, such a better word, isn't it? That you have been enslaved by something who Jesus Christ has set you free from. If you can't stop a sinful pattern, you are a slave. Some live in self-denial. They think that they can stop their addictive behavior at any time, but until you take the first step forward and stop, you know, and admit that you have a problem, stop and stop making excuses and, and start making some changes, you will remain in bondage. If you are free, you would be free to stop. If you cannot stop, you are indeed a slave and you're not free at all. So you've got to share the bad news before we share the good news. There's only four options for a Christian that is caught in idolatry, caught in, in the slavery. The first one is minimization. Try to manage sin to keep it from getting worse. 
these efforts are doomed to fail. Sin is like cancer. You either kill it or it kills you. Then you have the compartmentalization Christian. They try to hide it. They leave a secret double life. And they live this life anxiously hoping that they don't get caught, exposed, and found out. And then you have the third choice, which is celebration. Accept it as your new identity and be proud of it, even though you should be ashamed of it. This explains why the world throws parades for things that they should be holding funerals for. And the fourth choice that you have is liberation. Walk in the freedom God intends by killing what is killing you. Colossians chapter 3, 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which leads to idolatry. Idolatry. All of our problems are rooted in idolatry. We are worshiping something that we were never created to worship. We're living our lives completely out of order. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, it says, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. This is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our, of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath just like everyone else. Slaves need freedom. And we've, we've all been in some level slaves. To be set from, free from slavery, we need a Redeemer. Right? Which is the big idea of Scripture. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Scripture is all pointing to. Is that the world, humanity, is enslaved enslaved to, the, to, to our fallen nature, to sin, to the devil, to the kingdom of darkness. And we need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. All people are held captive by someone or something, unable to free themselves. And unless a Redeemer steps in, they are powerless and without hope in the world. Everyone starts life as a slave. So what you are experiencing is not unique to you. What you're experiencing in life... See, that's one of the, the, that's one of the enemy's greatest deceptions. To make, think that, make people think that you're unique. That your situation is different from every other person's situation. And it's a lie. There's nothing new under the sun. And we all have experienced this because we were all, life starts in Adam, born a slave to sin. Slaves to sin need to trust Jesus as the Redeemer who died that they might be free. Jesus comes to crush whatever is ruling over you, setting you free to worship God in all life. Satan wants you to sin 
And he, want, he wants that sin to kill your marriage, to kill your family, to kill your health, to kill your finances, to kill your joy, and ultimately bring you to an eternal hell with him. Only Jesus can be, only Jesus can redeem us from slavery. Satan does not care what you worship as long as you don't worship Jesus. When you are addicted or enslaved to a particular sin, it is because you you are empowering your flesh to rule over you. You are empowering your flesh to rule over you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, it says, We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Isn't that good news? We have been set free from sin through Jesus Christ. It's a lie to believe that you do not have the power to walk free from sin. And it's all a choice of what you're going to worship. Are you going to worship Jesus or are you going to worship your idol, sin? The slavery of addictions is both a physical and a spiritual problem. God made you one person with three parts. Right? Your spirit. You're born again. You're born of the spirit. Your spirit is just like Jesus. You have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions. And you live in a body, right? So it helps not only to know the spiritual nature of slavery. Here's the good news about the spiritual nature of slavery. Is that you've been set free. That's the truth about your spirit. You are set free. The evil one has no hold on you, no claim on you. And no one can pluck you out of Jesus' hand. But it also helps to know that that there's mental and and physical nature of slavery. You know, when we we go up north fishing, you're along the, the river, you can kind of find out where the good spots are. Because... There's trails worn into the woods. There's ruts almost. And it makes getting to those spots easy because it's a direction. It shows you where you're going, how to go. It's wore down so you don't have to step over things or, or stumble over brush or twigs and stuff like that. So you, so you can get to the spots quickly. And the same thing is true... True, let's just say you were out in the middle of the wilderness to a place that you had never been before and you're walking through the wilderness and you're making a walking away and you come out to a clearing and there's just a beautiful, beautiful river with a waterfall coming down into it. And it's just the most gorgeous place that you've ever been. And it's just a place that you find peace and joy and, and you just loved it. So what you, it, it, it produces pleasure in you. And excitement. And what you do is you continue to go to that spot over and over and over and over again. 
eventually, you won't be stumbling over sticks. There won't be old leaves on the ground. There won't be brush. Because the more that you go to that place that gives you such great pleasure, the more you wear down the path, the more things get trampled under, the, more, the quicker you can get there, right? Because there's now a path. You can see the quickest route to get there. And, and it, just, it just produces a system for you to get to the place of pleasure as quick as possible without any obstacles in the way. Do you know that science says that's the same way that our brains work? Our brains create and carve out neural pathways through repetitive behavior. See, don't, I, I just love it when science finally catches up to the Bible. Because Paul has been telling us for years that once you're born again, the next step is to renew your mind. To renew your mind. See, what happens, what science has found out is that there's these neural pathways through repeated behavior. The orbital frontal cortex is the emotional modulatory system. You know what that is? Your brain. Someone in your brain. Right? This is a decision-making system. And understand something. To be addicted to something is to release dop dopamine into your system. Which causes you want to want it and make a decision to pursue it. That's the addiction pathway. You have things that produce pleasure in your life that release dopamines into your body. And when you find a way to have that produced in your body, your brain produces pathways of thinking that causes you to gravitate and go to those things to produce that desire. See, God created the, the pleasure path for His glory and our good. We were created to enjoy God and all that he, God has provided for us to enjoy in this world. We, pleasure is not evil. Again, it's just when it gets out of order. We were supposed to enjoy pleasure without the pain of sin. But we take the good thing that God gives and we make them idols in our life. And the problem with idols is that they lie. They're, de they're a demonic deception is this. That sin can satisfy you. That sin satisfies. And in reality, the addict is never satisfied. And what it does, it presses them into deeper levels of addiction. Only a life with God, obedience to God, and freedom through God can truly bring satisfaction in life. That is why God wants us to practice chastity. Young, young, young people here, listen up. The reason why God wants you to keep yourself pure before you get married and then be devoted to one spouse after you get married 
is because of these pleasure pathways. He wants to make sure that the only place that you can be sexually pleasured is through your spouse. And you don't have all these other pathways to find that pleasure. That's good. And, and parents and grandparents, you need to teach this to your children and your grandchildren. That the reason why God, God's not trying to withhold pleasure from you, He wants you to have great pleasure. And He doesn't want you to become a slave to pleasure. The reason why so many people aren't experiencing pleasure in their relationship with their spouse is because they're finding pleasure from other places. When you are angry, well, here's the good news. We can build new pathways. That's what the Bible calls renewing our minds. See, when you're angry, rather than um, raging, you can carve out a new path into God's presence through worship and prayer. When you are scared and anxious, you can spend time in God's Word studying out how much He loves you rather than turning to drinking too much to calm your nerves. When you are depressed, you can choose to serve others in joy, in the joy of the Lord rather than turning to food or shopping. If you are feeling intimate, you can lovingly build a complete and healthy relationship with your spouse rather than running to sexual sin. God has given us tools to rewrite the way that we think and enjoy pleasure. Over time, you can build momentum so that your brain, body, and soul will line up with your spirit and quickly take you to the path of God's pleasure, His presence, rather than the demonic pleasure path paved with lies that only leads to pain. You have to choose your pain. Here's, here's, here's the truth. You have to choose your pain. You have to choose your sacrifice. You have to choose who you will worship. It will be painful to carve out new pathways for pleasure. But it's not nearly as painful as the death that sin brings to your life. And be not fooled. Be not deceived. All sin leads to death. To experience freedom requires humility. And humility will allow God to build us up, to exalt us in life. And that's what we're going to continue to build on next week. If you can understand why this is going to be a long series. Because we are going to pull down all these idols, all these thought patterns, all these ways that we think and conduct ourselves. 
the very first thing is to understand that those things that you as a Christian probably hate, but you turn to, to in times of stress, in the times of, of uh, uh, depression, in the, in, in the times of, of weakness, to, to escape those things you turn to, to try to escape from reality for a little bit. You have to understand and you have to finally come to the realization that it's an idol. And you have presented yourself a slave to that idol. And that you're sacrificing to that idol. That's the first step. And then understand that Jesus wants you free. Jesus paid the price for you to be free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. That you no longer have to be in, controlled by sin, but you can have dominion, you can have authority over sin. That greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. And that the life that God has planned for you is the greatest life that you could ever imagine for yourself. That the joy and the fulfillment and the pleasure that's available in His ways of doing things brings full contentment. It brings fullness of joy. It brings peace. There's no anxiety. There's no more hiding. There's no more worrying if people are going to find out who I really am. But there's true liberation. This is God's desire for you. This is God's desire for humanity. Amen? Amen. Join, continue to join us in this, in this journey as we, as we continue down this road next week. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now in the name of Jesus, we just speak freedom and liberty over the captives. We, we pull back that deceptive curtain that has blinded the children of God to think that sin somehow benefits them in life. Father, we just, we just those that are, their hearts are crying out right now that to be delivered from those things that they find comfort in that they find pleasure in, but that are killing them. They know that it's killing them. Holy Spirit, I thank You that You are, you are giving them great strength, that You are encouraging them in, 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 in their innermost man to stand up and say, no more. No more. I worship the Creator, not the creation. I worship God and not this idol. It's over. I have been set free in Jesus Christ, and I am going to walk out this freedom in the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we just thank You. We thank You for freedom and liberty to the captives. We thank You that this church will continue to walk in freedom from the very things that is trying to kill us. And it's all because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has delivered us. He is our Redeemer. He is our Savior. He is our King. And we worship Him and Him alone. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.